Well, good morning, Outlook family. It is good to see everyone this morning. Isn't it good to be together? Well, it's kind of better than that, I think. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is good, isn't it? And whether we're here together in the room or you're with us online, we're just glad to be together. Speaking of being together, uh, I want to recognize the fact that our mission partners from Honduras are worshiping with us during this service. Felipe and Valerie Colby and their kiddos are here and we're so glad they're right over there. And anytime a missionary is in our midst, we, we just want to thank God for them. So thanks. Always great to see you guys. Um, yeah, a real, real blessing. Um, uh, before I jump into God's word, I would love it if we prayed together. Would that be good? Cool. That's a good thing to do in church, right? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your word that we're about to jump into and to hopefully be fed by. And Lord, we're, we're reminded on this weekend uh, that in our nation, uh, this weekend represents a pretty noble theme that stirs our hearts, the theme of sacrifice, the theme of freedom. And so, Lord, we do pause this morning uh, to recognize those who have given their lives in service to our country that we may have and spread and share and ensure freedom for our fellow human beings. Lord, we recognize what a deep and, and, and meaningful theme that is. It's so deep and meaningful, in fact, that for us as Christians, Lord, we think about what you did for us on the cross. That you are the epitome of sacrifice for the sake of freedom. And that, Lord, you said that there is no greater love that we could show each other than that we would lay down our lives for each other. And so, Lord, we recognize that there are people who have done that for us. And we say thank you. We ask, God, that as we uh, get into your word today, that it really would speak to us, that it would feed us, and that, Lord, what you've placed on my heart to share would be used by you, and that all that is of you would be remembered, and all that may come out of my mouth that maybe is not of you would be forgotten. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Peace of mind can be hard to find. Is that true? Peace of mind is difficult to lay hold of. Our mental and emotional health, we talk a lot about that in our world today, and rightly so. Preserving it, strengthening it is important, and maybe more important than ever in the last year or more that we have gone through together. And we as Christians recognize that our mental and emotional health is absolutely part and parcel of the wholeness that Jesus brings us, the healing to our lives that he brings. Now, there are good and not so helpful ways of pursuing peace. And so by way of illustration this morning, if you'll indulge me, when I thought about this subject of peace, I couldn't help but remember some scenes from the sitcom Seinfeld. And how there, there's a method uh, for finding peace that has a pretty mixed bag of results for some of the characters in this show. You might remember Frank Costanza's approach to finding peace on Seinfeld. And if you don't remember, I'm going to let you this clip refresh your memory. Take a look. Serenity now! Serenity now! <laughs> what is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! 
Huh? Joey Sanfino and some of the neighborhood kids, they ambushed me with a box of great A's. Are you all right? Oh, no, not fine, fine. Serenity now. Serenity now, serenity now. So you're using Frank's relaxation method? Jerry, the anger, it just melts right off. Serenity now. Serenity now. Serenity. Serenity. So, uh, forgive me for bringing that into our time together, or maybe you enjoyed that. I sure did. Uh, I find it to be a hilarious description of the kind of lunacy that sometimes we, or links we will go to, to try to find some peace, right? And so yelling serenity now was what Frank thought, based on the cassette he would listen to, uh, would be the way to keep his blood pressure down. What I'm offering today, through the words of Jesus, I hope you'll find, will be a much more helpful approach to finding serenity than yelling serenity now. Amen? Jesus says something in his word in John 14, not only to his immediate hearers, but I believe, as is true in so much of Scripture, he says it to us today. Here are the words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, as we begin to look at these words and what they can mean to us, let's just start by defining the word peace for ourselves. When the Bible, when we read that word in the Bible, what are we, what is it saying? Well, the original language that these words of Jesus were written in were Greek. And the Greek word for peace is orene. Now, the, it's the equivalent of the Hebrew word from the Old Testament. You might have heard it, shalom. And so these words speak to um, uh, a binding or a joining together of that which has been separated. That's actually the root word. Uh, it's a verb to join or bind together. So the idea of peace in the Bible is far more than simply an absence of conflict. It means being whole. It means being put together or back together or living an integrated life. Or we might say we have it all together. That is a sense of peace. It never means the absence of trouble. It really means everything which makes for a person's highest good and the enjoyment of that good. So it's a super comprehensive term, this idea, arene, or peace. Some synonyms for the word would be harmony, or security, or even prosperity in, in the sense of, a, of our souls. And yes, even the word serenity would be a synonym of it. It speaks to that. In fact, arene is where we get our word serene. You can see it there if you just add an S and Drop, um, uh, drop the E, or drop the I. And you can also, by dropping the E, see the word, uh, the name Irene, which was a very popular name in early Christian, Christianity for women. Um, and so that literally means peace. So if you know someone whose name is Irene, their name is Greek for peace. It's a virtue that everyone recognizes that we need, right? 
Peace can be elusive. Peace of mind can be hard to find. Yet, it's one we all know down deep in our hearts we hunger for. And so Jesus is offering it to us here in this passage. So let's move through His words together. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. My peace I give you. What is this peace of Christ? Well, clearly... As we live with Him, we begin to see uh, that we are accepted by Him. We begin to see that we are saved by Him. That when we come to Him in faith and repent of our sins and receive His grace, the Bible calls that salvation, and it gives to us a confident and settled state in our soul because we belong to Jesus. All the, the long list of things that this world would tell us are worthy of our fear, that fear begins to melt away. We become content with our earthly lot, whatever that may be, because we're rooted and we're resting in our relationship with Jesus. That's His peace. It's a peace that transcends circumstances and even our understanding. And so, as I'm going to do throughout the message here, When you think of the word peace, I also want to attach some other words. Word number one. When you think of the word peace, I'd invite you to think of also the word place. That we must all find within ourselves, at the very least, it's not bad when you can find a physical spot as well, but definitely within our own minds, hearts, and souls, a place of peace. When it comes to peace, find your place place, your source. We ask ourselves, where do I find peace? Or where am I trying to find peace? Perhaps unsuccessfully. It is something worth looking for and looking hard for. I remember when I was in my undergrad, I went to Ball State uh, actually to be a high school teacher, which I never ended up doing. I went into student ministry and then stayed in ministry. But uh, I lived at home about 30, 40 minutes away and commuted to Ball State to save uh, money. And so basically what that meant for me was when I was on campus for the day, I was there all day, but I had no dorm to go back to. So if I had an 8 a.m. class and I had a 2 or 3 p.m. class, I was there for the duration. And if you've ever been in Muncie in the winter, you know that it's a miserable place. If you're from there, I'm sorry, but it's just true. It is a miserable, wet cold place to spend your days. And so being a college student, I had plenty of late nights. And so I'd crawl out to, to, I'd drive to that 8 a.m. class, then crawl out of that class knowing I had some hours ahead and it is just nasty outside. So what would I do? I'd find an empty chair on the fourth floor of Bracken Library in some faraway corner, wrap my coat around myself. I needed that rest so bad. I was so hungry to find some place where I could just go to sleep, right? I needed it. I looked for it, sought, looked hard for it. Find, find a faraway corner on the fourth floor of the library, wrap my coat around myself, put my feet up on my backpack and go to sleep and maybe even sleep through that afternoon class. You just never know, it could happen. Maybe it happened. The Apostle Peter, quoting Psalm 34, says that we have to seek peace and pursue it. And that's true. Peace is something our souls need. And so we have to find a place, the place, where we can receive Christ's peace. And when 
that peace starts to get slippery, when that peace starts to be something that we, we stop experiencing or we feel like we're drifting away from it, we've got to get back to that place. It takes effort on our part. Often when we are experiencing or wrestling with a lack of peace, there's usually some question in our souls that ends with the word enough. In this case, it might be, is God enough? We, we like the idea of sitting in church on a Sunday morning, right, that we've got to carve out a place of peace in our souls. And we, we recognize that real peace comes from God. But man, there is a din of voices in our world that would tell us that that's not going to be enough. To have real peace, you're going to have to have these other things too, perhaps wealth or success or popularity. Is God really enough to settle your soul and to give you peace? Life without Christ, life without Christ on a given day or, or week or month or year can feel like a prison. Barred with turmoil and conflict, a lack of peace. But with him, we begin to feel the waters of our soul settle and calm. That's not, though, because everything around us got better, right? Possessing peace does not mean, uh, doesn't mean not having any anxieties or worries. They're all around us, aren't they? It just means becoming less and less anxious and worried ourselves. When we can get better and better at carving out that place in our thoughts, in our hearts, minds, and souls, a place of prayer, a place of connection, a connection, then we will begin to find peace. But when we begin and keep searching for it in all those places that do not satisfy, peace will become harder and harder. We only have to look at our own headlines to be reminded of what an unpeaceful place our world is. This week's mass shooting in San Jose was the 231st in our country this year. There is not going to be peace in our world, certainly not apart from Christ. Amen? There simply will not be. And so the place that we look for for peace will not be out there. It will be in here. It will be with him. That leads us to Jesus' second point here. I don't give you peace as the world gives it. In fact, really, the peace, quote-unquote, that the world gives is hardly peaceful at all. It's at this point we have to remind ourselves that there's a difference between the way the world would have us live and the way Jesus is calling us to live. And that we have to remind ourselves that following Jesus is about being before it's about doing, right? That it's about abiding in him before it's about even obeying him. In fact, we Christians can get really good at, at, at following a lot of rules and checking a lot of boxes and think there's a lot of stuff to do and I'd better do it all and I'd better do it well if I want to stay on God's good side. We can actually earn a reputation of, of forgetting that it's far more about being with Jesus than it's what we do for Jesus. And anything that we do has to flow first from who we are, Right? And who we are is loved children of God. See, there's a richness to our faith, but it's tough to tap into it. My days and yours are meant to be spent with God. And that takes us to our second word here, that I would invite you that when you think of peace, 
think of the word pace. That to live in peace, when we think about what this world gives compared to what Jesus gives, we probably will need to slow our pace. It's almost a trope in our world today to lament the speed and rush of our society, right? The information age, how fast things come at us, how fast we're expected to respond, the speed at which life seems to go. It's, it's almost cliched to talk about that. And yet, I have to think, and maybe you'll agree, that something significant really is happening to the human race. And it's not good. We're breaking down. The pressure, the pace can be too much. And again, Jesus, in his way, provide the answer. Two of my favorite authors are N.T. Wright and Dallas Willard, and both of them have written on this very subject. Here's just a couple of quick quotes. N.T. Wright has said, It is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. I really like that. That God has a rhythm and a pace to life that will not bring anxiety to you and to me. And so if the pace of our lives are making us feel frantic and, and peace becomes something that's harder and harder to experience, chances are good we're not walking at the same pace as God would have us walk in our lives. Dallas Willard puts it like this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry, and it's corollary, worry, right? Our, can be a cancer to our souls. We can begin to think that being poured out, right, which is a good and virtuous thing, to pour our lives out for, for a good cause and service to others, that's, that's something we're called to. Being poured out is good, but we can think that being poured out equals being worn out. That's not true. But to, be, to have a life of purpose means you must be exhausted. Also, not true. We believe that hurry or a packed schedule is a prereq for significance. Because chances are good, the enough question that we're asking is, do I have enough time? Will I have enough time to do whatever it is I've decided in my own mind and heart I must do? And it's our relationship with time that can sometimes be a very revealing aspect or, you know, very revealing part of uh, what it means, what our, what's going on in our relationship with God. When we begin to walk at his pace, there's something that I have found, at least, begins to happen. Today and the next day and the day after that are enough time to do whatever it is he has in mind for me to do. That he is the Lord of all time, and if I've made him the Lord of my life, those things perfectly go together. So I may feel I don't have enough time, but the question will be, says who? Right? Who says I don't have enough time? And here's the even broader perspective. Today, the next day, the day after that, all the way to my last day on earth, whenever that is, the real kicker is remembering that it will not be my last day. That my last day on earth is far from my last day because Jesus came to give eternal life, starting 
now. So if you want to plot the course and the arc of our lives as spiritual beings in God's universe, called by him, loved by him and belonging to him, that dot can start today and that line will never end. Physical death is a mere blip on that line. And in that kind of perspective, questions of enough time start to vaporize, right? We certainly want to make the most of our time. We certainly want to enjoy the time we have with all our loved ones and to do the work that God has given us on this earth, but we have to rest that we have enough, whatever it will be, in God's eyes. See, I'm not talking just about our schedules or our calendars, am I? But mostly our souls and the contentment that we can find there. There's this place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus literally just simply says, hey, don't worry, right? Do not worry. He says, uh, the flowers are taken care of, the birds are taken care of, and so you think about clothes and you think about food. He says, and then he says this, but those who don't yet know God, they run after all these things. That's the phrase he uses. They run after all these things. What a great description of our world, right? And any of us, if we get, begin to get sucked into that pace, chasing and running after all the things, aren't we? We can do it. We can find ourselves doing that. And he says, but you know your heavenly father. You have a heavenly father and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And so slow your roll, right? God's got this. We sang about it earlier. Fear has lost its hold on me. And so oftentimes it is fear. It's scarcity. It's a sense that, that I've got to make up for what I'm not sure God's going to take care of. And so we keep our pace so fast, not only in our schedules, but in our souls. One other thought on this point. I'm not here to make anyone feel bad about your full or even busy schedule. That's an easy thing, I think, sometimes for preachers to do. Make people feel bad because they're busy. I don't really have a lot of need to do that or see much sense in it. What I am here to do is to remind you to not let that full schedule empty you out. Sometimes you go through seasons of life in which your schedule is simply going to be very full and you're going to be very busy. The question is, though, what's the pace of your heart and your soul? Can you carve out that place to find peace? And in your, at least your own internal character, can you slow your pace and do one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing, all with God by your side, walking at his pace with him, no matter how full your schedule may be. Now, the Lord may tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, let's do something about your schedule. It's killing you. That's between you and the Lord. But I would never impose that on everybody because everyone's called to a different set of work and everyone's in a different season of life. Let's think a little bit more for a moment about peace as the world gives compared to peace as Jesus gives. Peace as the world gives is based on circumstances going well, right? God, I just want a day in which everything goes right. You ever felt that way? But peace, the way Jesus gives it, is based on faith that God is in control, regardless of circumstances. Peace, as the world gives, is based on an absence of conflict. Let's just all get along. 
peace as Jesus gives, creates love and grace amidst the inevitable conflicts and disagreements. Gives us the tools we need to live patiently with each other. And I think that's a big word when it comes to peace. Patience. Patience with myself and patience with others. When we begin to be people who are rooted and grounded in Christ and thus our souls become more settled, we can then live at peace with others, not because there's no conflict, but because we love them as people just as they are, not as we wish they were or want them to be. This is big. At least it's big for me. When I'm at peace, I find that I can love people just as they are, not as I want them to be. That I can live in forgiveness and not bitterness. Bitterness, by the way, and unforgiveness robs us of peace faster and more fully than just about anything I've found. So peace actually fosters love and grace. It's a virtuous cycle. See, just as courage is not the absence of fear, so peace is not the absence of conflict. But instead, as one author I read put it, even in cases where, though, though no fault of, through no fault of my own, there must be a struggle between me and someone else. And sometimes that's just true in life. There does not have to be a struggle within me. That's peace. That's the peace that Jesus gives. Peace as the world gives is found only when I complete all my to-do lists, right? Peace as Jesus gives is found when I cultivate a relationship with him. Joyful surrender instead of strenuous striving. Because we are, left to ourselves, a restless people far too often. But the work Jesus calls us to is to surrender and find our rest in him. To trust in his timing to enjoy what He gives us, whatever that may be, and to define success by His terms. It's a great picture of peace. So, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And then He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, we return to the idea of enough. Not only do I have enough time, or is God enough, but am I enough, right? And nothing troubles our hearts and stirs them, quite like our own insecurities and inadequacies. And so what we need in moments like that, when you think of peace, I'd encourage you to also think of presence. To keep your peace, stay in His presence. This passage that we're focusing on today is part of a larger discourse between Jesus and his disciples. And he actually drops the key to this earlier in John 14. He uses the same phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he adds, trust in God, trust also in me. So there's a key here. Where we trust and who we trust will help our hearts to stay untroubled. See, we get locked up on this easily, all of us as human beings. We want circumstances to go our way. We have expectations, and then we have disappointments, right? Because often we end up putting our trust in circumstances and pinning our peace on those circumstances going well. We've all been there. We all can relate. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't do that. 
Trust in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. See, often we long for things to feel like this. I've got a couple photos that demonstrate this. Here we've got a freshly opened jar of peanut butter, right? Is there a more peaceful image in the world than a freshly jar? Yeah, smoother than a fresh jar of Skippy, right? That's what we want our lives to be. Or, like, or, or we, we're, we're looking for impossible things, like let's empty the can of alphabet soup and it's going to come out like this. That somehow that we might think that could happen. And we look at our own circumstances and we want this level of order. Or, yeah, here comes the, the other pictures. Too often, this is what life really looks like, right? You're never going to listen through these again. Just give it up, right? You can spend your whole life trying to untangle that. And who on earth, what is happening here? Most of life, it feels like, is just wondering, what were you thinking and wanting to just turn that, right? I mean, that's like, just help me out here, world. Don't do that anymore. Everywhere you look, there's just stuff that you think could be corrected and better. And you just, when we pin our peace on things like this going right, we will always feel full of anxiety. To use an image from Scripture that I've always found uh, impressive. Isaiah 57 describes the, the, the heart that is far from God uh, as a troubled sea. Verse 20 says this, but those who reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. I don't know about you, but I know my heart has been like that at times. I feel, I never feel still. I feel restless. I'm continually churning. If it's not my heart, it's my guts, right? Churning. Churning up mud and dirt, as it says. A restless, troubled sea. Dark, muddy, tempestuous. Absolutely a picture of the human heart when we turn from God. And I love making these little connections in Scripture. When I read that, then I remember a a powerful story about Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 4. They themselves are on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they come across a huge storm. Now, Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat, but these experienced fishermen are experiencing a storm so bad that they think they might die. They wake Jesus up. And they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? Can you do something about this? And it says he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Someone say great calm. Great calm. That's what I need in my heart sometimes. I need Jesus to stand up in my sea, my my troubled sea of a heart that's churning up mud and dirt and continually doing so and say, peace be still. He turns to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Friend, what is your storm? Is it a troubled marriage or a troubled child? Is it a financial stress or strained friendships? Maybe you're struggling with physical pain or a crippling addiction, or even a deadly disease. There are all kinds of storms out there, and we all go through many of them. So this morning, I'm inviting you to invite this untroubled Jesus into your trouble and into your troubled heart. We are tossed about by life storms, and many times it's tough to discern which way is up. But He is peaceful. 
And he promises to give us his peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled, he says. This reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Both of them have this word, let. Right? I think it's a real pivotal idea in both passages. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Here, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This tells me that God's peace is available to me. In fact, very, God, I believe, is very eager to give us his peace, to calm us, to walk with us at his pace, that he wants that for us, but we must allow it. We must let it happen. We must open ourselves to the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and not let our hearts be troubled by taking our cues from the world. To let it happen. To allow it. Sometimes we just gotta, and we can do it right now, take a deep breath. Serenity now! No, no, no. Instead, take a deep breath. Let the peace of Christ, as it says here in Colossians, let the peace of Christ, inhale, rule in my heart, exhale. Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. As Christ followers, we trust and we entrust ourselves to God. And we have hearts and minds that are centered and at peace, regardless of our circumstances. So let's, let's hear Jesus' words one last time as we close. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Today's sermon is a standalone message. We preach in sermon series most of the time around here, and we wrapped one up last week, and we're going to spend the next couple of months starting next week in the book of Romans. And so on my planning calendar, this Memorial Day weekend has been an open slot. And we planned those series uh, quite a ways in advance, but I didn't plan anything for this Sunday other than that it would be a standalone message. And so I've been praying about that, just knowing that it was there. Lord, what, what would you have for that day? And when my thoughts began to circle around and, and, and kind of land on this passage and this subject, I got to tell you, God and I had a little conversation because what I found too often to be true is that when I'm preaching on a subject, God sees fit to make sure I'm learning the lesson really well that week. And so I saw this coming when I, uh oh, peace, I'm going to be preaching on peace. God, can we talk for a minute? I've been through plenty of things. I think I got that one nailed. Can we have a not so bad week this week? You know, do I really need through? How about you just teach me through your word this week about peace? It'll be great. And uh, we'll just we'll just handle it that way. And don't I don't know if I really need to learn anything more about peace through my circumstances. Well, he did not really listen to me. And I definitely had a week in which I had to learn these lessons of carving out of place of slowing my pace, I had to, and here's one more word, practice. I had to practice peace. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. Let me wrap up with these words from Jesus. Same discourse a little bit later. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. Take heart means take courage. It means be encouraged. Jesus is saying all of what we've read from him today to his followers on the night before his brutal death. And he knew trouble for them was just around the corner. And he knows too what's just around your corner. And he never promises that if we'll just follow him, our lives will be free of trouble. In fact, we read here, he promises the opposite. But he promises something better. He promises us his peace. Take heart, he says. I have overcome. And we have discovered that is more than enough. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that despite how stormy and unsettled our hearts can sometimes be, that you are the Lord of land and sea, of time, and of our souls. And Lord, we can turn to you at any moment and find calm in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in ourselves, and find your peace, not the peace of the world, but the peace that does not allow our hearts to be or stay troubled. That's what we know we need. Help us, God, to continually seek it and to find it in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for choosing to worship together today. We love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful week. Go in peace.